It was a time when pro wrestling was a pop culture phenomenon. Talk about your songs, talk about John 316. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Pay-per-view quality matches live on free TV every Monday night. Monday, July 6th. Look back at the battle between WCW Monday Nitro and WWF Monday Night Raw. It's me, Austin! Oh, son of a bitch! What? It's me, Austin! It was me all along, Austin! This is Reliving the War with Simon Tackler and Nims Azul. You can call this the new world order of wrestling brother welcome everyone to another huge edition of reliving the war it is the podcast where we go through the monday night wars and basically relive them here on the gray wolf entertainment network my name is nibs joined as always by my tag team partner simon tackler simon we've sat through a couple of horrid wcw pay-per-views and the wwf are really picking up steam at the moment and judgment day 1998 I like how the pay-per-views are sort of really episodic. Like they lead, they continue on this story between Stone Cold and um, versus Vince McMahon. And I don't know about you, but do you find that more memories seem to be unlocked as we watch the WWF ones rather than the WCW ones? Oh, absolutely. And it could come down to the better promotion they would do by putting out, you know, best of compilation videos and, you know, the best of Raw. And they would always do a good job, even at the time of replaying great things that would have happened, you know, a month or two ago. So these things are locked in our memory. And i got to say, in the video packages during this pay-per-view, when they were showing highlights from Raw, my God, October 1998 was absolutely insane. There are so many iconic moments where you're like, this all happened within three weeks? Yeah, it's it's crazy. crazy. (laughs) More happened in three weeks in October 98 that was memorable than has happened in eight years of Monday Night Raw, <laughs> like in the modern times. It's it's crazy. insane. It is so insane. And you're absolutely right, because it's only, you know, like we all rave about how how much how how good it is to sort of have so many different alternatives. But remember those years, like like basically the sort of the rise of the shield and sort of the back end of CM Punk in in uh WWF, sorry, WWE. It's not really, there's not really super memorable sort of moments, but every time we see a video package here in 98, and to an extent, sometimes in WCW, you go, oh, so that's the bit, that's the match that Conan had with such and such, or this is the good satin match. But it seems like with the WWF pay-per-views, we seem to be just unlocking more and more gems that have stood the test of time that still get referenced to today. So let's get straight into it. And we start off Judgment Day with a package that you mentioned that sets up the main event. It's another obstacle for Stone Cold Steve Austin to overcome. And I don't know about you, but I absolutely chuckled so much every time they repeated the line, you violated me, Austin, by uh, Vince McMahon. <laughs> I love that. Th- th- that was the... um. You know, like a style choice they made in this era. They would isolate uh, an audio clip and repeat it, you know, for dramatic effect in the opening package. You violated me, Austin, and I'll fire your ass. You know, they were the high (laughs) points of this package. Again, great stuff. It wasn't a long one for the WWE standards, but it was very dramatic. They're continuing with this whole, you know, either sort of antichrist theme or Mm -hmm. sort of... um, dictator theme for vince mcmahon now and it's all very high stakes it's good 
It's so awesome. Uh, we get another fence. I love how this is also the era, 1998. Is is that that that's the the CG cheesy intro? It was sort of like the same time that the Red Hot Chili Peppers did it. Were doing it too with like uh, Californication, like, where that yeah. music video looked so like oh wow, imagine that was a real video game. <laughs> Look at the graphics. It's so good. It's so bad. It's good, especially with the benefit of hindsight. It's another sold out arena for the WWF, and we get to the first match, which is Al Snow and Head versus Mark Mero and Jackie. The first thing that that jumped off the page for me was that Al Snow was mega over back then, and you kind of forget that now, especially since, you know, the internet has really done a lot of revisionist history about shitting on a lot of the guys that were big in the Attitude Era to not make it seem like, oh, they weren't really that big, da-da-da-da-da. But no, you look at this match, Mark Merrow and Al Snow, they're like presented like stars. These guys are trusted to open this pay-per-view here. Yeah, they were a big deal. Mark Merrow legitimately ever since he became marvelous mark that we've seen on pay-per-view he has been a solid addition there hasn't been a single pay-per-view match where it hasn't been entertaining in some way whether it's messing with sable or putting on a solid performance as a really annoying heel and getting heat the crowd aren't bored during his matches mark merrow was a lot of fun to watch and I'll be honest, I've crapped on El Snow a lot on this show um, <laughs> because I don't feel like it holds up. When his music hit and the crowd in Chicago popped, I got excited. And then, yeah. I, and then I had to remember, wow, Fall Brawl really sucked because I'm like <laughs> relieved to see El Snow. And, you know, Mick Foley's like fun ribbing of Al Snow really left a mark and sort of just stuck and sort of changed the narrative that Al Snow sucked where it was just, you know, Mick Foley having fun with his friends. I I think it's also important to clarify, like Al Snow, outside of, say, 1997 till 2001, did suck. Like it's it's there's no there's no highlights. What Leaf Cassidy? Like that's that's something that's yeah. that you're gonna put out there. Like, he had a, yeah, he had a very limited window, but in that window he was absolutely on fire. Also, did you see that giant um, poster that just said that was absolutely focused on the camera that just said Clinton loves head. Yep, Clinton <laughs> loves head, and we want head. It's 1998. <laughs> what can you do? And there was also now, another great yeah. sign during the intro. When JR was introducing the show, oh, an old lady behind him and had a sign that said, I respect you, Booker Man. Yes. Thought, what a weird inside reference for this just grandma to be holding. It's like her grandson who was, you know, on the message boards said, oh, grand, can you take this sign for me? Yeah. And also, because, like, obviously now you can have a, a sign up on Dynamite that references, like, you know, SummerSlam 93 and it's on Twitter in seconds. No one's doing a screen capture of that. So you had to be really laser focused to get a, you know, a 1994 Kevin Sullivan and Brian Pillman <laughs> WCW know. reference on a 98 WWE pay-per-view. It was a deep um, cut. The, the other weird thing of this match before it even started is Jeff Jarrett's music uh, kicks in. And Double J comes out saying that he, he'll be taking on Al Snow instead, but he gets sent to the back in one of the most pointless Jeff Jarrett appearances you'll ever see on pay-per-view. This one I didn't understand at all. I actually thought, oh, does it turn into a triple threat? Is Jeff Jarrett going to interfere? Is Jeff Jarrett going to replace Mero? No, Jeff Jarrett comes out and says, I want to fight Al Snow. And Mero's like, no, nah, I'll take it from here, mate. And that is the end of it. It was a red herring and yeah. nothing comes of it. 
Look, this is a very short but inoffensive match here. The crowd is just hot the entire time. There's not a moment where they're sitting on our, on their hands. Mark Mirror, as you said, him and Jacqueline are such a fantastic combination. Mm. And um, Al Snow gets the win with the snowplow. I haven't seen Al Snow win that often that I completely forgot that that was his finishing move, which yeah. is actually a pretty good one. <laughs> not a bad move. But 100%, that little mannequin head is Al Snow's meal ticket for the entire <laughs> Attitude Era. Yeah, and what a run he would have. Then again, hosting Tough Enough or being a coach on Tough Enough, that wasn't bad. Yeah. That's yeah. something. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, he so he did all right there. He unfortunately couldn't recreate that with TNA Wrestling's gut check <laughs> no. in like 07, 08. Uh, no. by, then, by then, the shine was well and truly off. Um, there was a cool little cross back to Sunday Night Heat, like a little recap package about Austin um, getting told to go to the referee's dressing room, which was just a cupboard. And it's stuff like that. Like the, the way that they stacked the decks against Austin really sort of added to that Austin v. McMahon story, I thought. Yeah, and using the clips from Heat during the pay-per-view is great to build to your main event and your main story. You're not showing highlights of Ernest Miller and the Armstrong brothers. Again, <laughs> WWE's doing it right. They're, they're kicking goals. This is one little stumble, though, uh, that I felt because uh, it was DOA versus LOD 2000. Now, the minute that those bikes, you saw those bikes, uh, the Harris brothers, Eight Ball and Skull, come out with Paul Ellering. You just need like, oh, no, that's right. We've still got some remnants. Like, we've got rid of Crush. That's great. Mm. <laughs> Crush is done. We're, we're, we're seeing no of Los Periquas. That's been exhumed. But unfortunately, we still have DOA. I didn't realize that DOA stuck around once Crush left. I really Same thought Crush is gone and DOA have no purpose now. But Eight Ball, Skull, and Chains are still uh, still showing up. Mm, uh, Paul Ellering is also in the ring with them as well, which was weird, isn't? This was weird having him. He was just purely there for the purpose of like, well, we need us, we need six people, and you're part of the stable, mate. Mm. Um, I thought it was pretty cool that LOD is still mega over, even with Droz. I completely forgot that they tried to retrofit Droz as a member of uh, LOD back then too. Yep, he was the crush. Mm. For LOD in the same yeah. way that crush was, you know, for, for demolition, demolition back in the day. <laughs> Actually, can I just say, sorry, so Paul Allering is with the two bald guys with the Harris mm -hmm. twins. Is yep. Chains gone by this point? I think so. Yeah, because oh. it's just Skull and Eight Ball. Yeah. So Chains has gone and they've kept crush is gone. these guys as yeah. DOA. My God. And and added Paul Ellering, who I'm pretty sure hadn't been in the ring in at least five ten, or six yeah, years. Ten years, yeah. I don't know. He ten looked good. He looked good. He good look, physique. He looked, and I did like they had a couple of shots at him too, sort of saying like, oh, well, he's definitely been working on the arms and stuff. Although, it is hilarious because Paul Ellering is literally in the ring for two moves before he tags out again. Mm. I got to say, it doesn't work with him being like the chicken shit heel manager who, oh, they're forcing him to wrestle. He's not Jim Cornette. He's not Bobby Heenan. He's not Jimmy Hart. Yeah. He looks like he could beat up, beat up like most wrestlers. Yeah, exactly. He looks bigger than like, say, Dean Malenko. Oh, 100%. <laughs> he couldn't wrestle for the Cruiserweight title. I got to so, say, uh, I always love when um, they're in Chicago for the LOD and, you know, oh. the LOD are billed from Chicago and the crowd just loves it. They go nuts here. Massive, uh, you know, road warrior pop. But these guys aren't from Chicago. 
Like, I, are you serious? From Minnesota, because then I, I was like, I was starting to think. I'm like, are they really from Chicago? Because I know they're from the AWA, and I had yeah. heard, you know, they grew up with that Minnesota group of like Rick Rude and Kurt Hennig and whoever else. And I looked it up. No, both guys are from not Chicago. Because, because I we often. We always we remember the street fight. The only good thing about WrestleMania 13, uh, aside from Austin and in, Brett, in Chicago, in Chicago, and they're so, crazy over. They're crazy over. Like there's even signs in the crowd that's like Shy Town's own. Because I was, I was <laughs> their gear says Chicago <laughs> on it. You know, on the pads. Because I was literally about to say, like, even though that they're a shell of themselves, like, because they're the hometown heroes, it gave them a massive pop, but they're not even from Chicago. <laughs> from Chicago. To, I'd love I it think... if we find out later that CM Punk is actually oh, from that like, would you know, be Milwaukee. The best. <laughs> if he just chose Chicago because he knows that, you know, they respect the hometown. <laughs> oh, but now this, I mentioned that, like, this is a shell of uh, the, the um, former LOD because Hawk, he's. Throughout the entire match, he's penciled in as the weakest link here. He's the the alternate. That's what um Jerry Lawler yeah. kept saying, didn't it? Yeah. And he was drunk here. So he was essentially doing what Scott Hall was doing on the other channel. Mm. Except Jerry Lawler was really going to town on him, like making light of all of his personal issues from addiction to painkillers, to him being drunk, to him not knowing anything. Like, it's really, it's actually really savage. <laughs> it, it is. But then on the flip side, Hawk wins. Mm. Or, or not wins, draws, steals the pin. But the, the LOD hit the Doomsday device, so they mm. don't look bad necessarily. It's yep. just uh, Lawler is calling him a drunk the whole time. This was a yep. weird match. It wasn't necessarily good, but the crowd was kind of into it, so you can kind of just, you know, whatever, sit through it. It's not even long. Yeah, the Chicago crowd really sort of wills it over the line. And mm. JR still trying to to rebrand the Doomsday device as the Devastation device just doesn't <laughs> sit well with me. That's his um, Jungle Jack Perry of the uh, Attitude Era. <laughs> Next up, it's Christian um, as a heel uh, who is with Gangrel. Now, they've been established as the bad guys, but Taka Michinoku, who's the light heavyweight champion, is also a heel because he's Japanese, and that's just the reason he sided with Kayentai. This is also the first time we've seen the belt defended, I think, since the block logo. Because <laughs> um, was, it, was it like, what What was the last pay-per-view that we saw Taka Michinoku defending the light heavyweight Maybe title on? WrestleMania 14? Yeah, I reckon you're right. Yeah, they had the good match with... Um... That other guy, yeah. <laughs> S. A. Rios, whatever S. A. Rios? his yeah. previous name was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and and so here's the thing. What, but I I love that with Gangrel out there, Jr. whips out the old. He doesn't know much about the gothic lifestyle that, <laughs> that Gangrel's a part of. <laughs> his alleged gothic lifestyle of some sort, and his viscous liquid, and you know all of that. <laughs> JR just doing his absolute best to skate around calling him a vampire that drinks <laughs> yeah, blood. He, he just is, won't do it. He's just so good. Edge is also in the crowd just standing there watching uh, Christian because they're in kayfabe at the moment, dubbed as brothers. Now, I thought it was a pretty interesting match because Taka Michinoku, he's dominating early, but have you noticed that Taka Michinoku's got a real affinity for just throwing himself outside of the ring face first onto the, uh, onto the, onto the mats and stuff? Oh, he just absolutely has no regard for his body. And I think in a couple of years, we're going to see the best of that at the Royal Rumble 2000 in the Royal mm -hmm. Rumble match where he absolutely just eats it. Um, but you know what? He goes hard here. Christian gets to showcase 
that, you know, even in the early stages here, he was a great in-ring technician. The match is fine. It's not on the level of some WCW Cruiserweight matches, and it's not as good as matches we would see Christian have later on, but it's kind of fun to see him here. Uh, yeah, it's his, it's his first pay-per-view match. He's we- he's wrestling in a puffy shirt like from Seinfeld. I love that. King even <laughs> mentions it. He's like, oh, one of those Seinfeld puffy shirts, which just ruins the whole, you know, yeah. vampire thing. Um, but it was the, fine. The, there's some cool little highlights. The one thing that stood out for me too was um, the there's an SI moonsault done by Taka Michinoku, which somehow leads JR to link that to the state of the Japanese economy. <laughs> I missed that. <laughs> it's so weird. He does an SI moonsault to the outside. Um, and then JR's like, oh, go on. And it's like, that's a good metaphor for the state of the Japanese economy. It's like, what are you on about? <laughs> Who watching um, wrestling at the time would even know? I know, right? Especially that 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 sort of borderline racist WWE. <laughs> I hate Japan audience. Um, yeah, it. this is Christian's first pay-per-view defense, uh, p- first pay-per-view match. It's Tucker's first light heavyweight defense in, I guess, since WrestleMania. And, um, yeah, Christian gets the win. Pretty simple as that. And Tucker Michinoku just sort of fades into obscurity for a bit after this. Yeah. Until until Kaintai go into their dubbed over voices sort of comedy Mm. routine. Um, I will say it's a fun fact. I guess one of those trivia things. Christian won a championship in the WWE before Edge. Yeah. I mean, people wouldn't assume that. No, he also wins not. a title here in his first pay-per-view match. So, you know, Christian's off to a good start. Yeah, Christian, it's so weird how, like, when you look at their careers side by side, Edge is very much the late bloomer here because, like, he gets he only gets his King of the Ring t- uh, title victory in, like, 2000, 2001, and his first title is in 99 when he wins the Intercontinental belt. I think he gets the Intercontinental title soon. Or is it 98? Actually, it couldn't be 98. We've only got two months to go. I think it's 99. And You're the right. There's they, that weird, yeah. yeah, they do it at a house show because mm. someone wasn't there, but then he loses it like the next night on pay-per-view. Yeah. That no, must be 99, I, yeah. The only reason I know that is because it was against Jeff Jarrett. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only footnote. Um, next up, it is Val Venus versus Goldust. And I'm going to put a controversial call out here. Love this match. I love this feud. I loved everything about it. The video recap of Dustin <laughs> Runnels, um, his feud with Val Venus, including that incredible video, The Preacher's Wife, that led to the return of Goldust. Like, you could never do that video on Monday Night Raw again. No way. I thought the video package for this was fantastic. Uh, we saw the segment when Goldust returns as Goldust because, you know, we saw him as Dustin Reynolds uh, doing the preacher kind of thing. The mm-hmm. crowd went nuts when he returned as classic Goldust because yeah. we've seen him as, you know, the preacher guy. We've seen the him as the really over-the-top artist formerly known as. But, wow, you wouldn't have thought the crowd was that sort of keen to see classic Goldust again. And this was an interesting feud because neither man is really the face or the heel here. And after on, Val would be, you know, just continue on as a face. But... It's a really, yeah, a really weird dynamic here. Yeah, so because if we follow sort of the threads of this feud, like Val Venus starts off as the face mm. because he, because uh, Dustin Runnels is the preacher gimmick, is the heel. But once Dustin becomes gold dust and starts fighting for his wife, 
and kicking Val in the balls as revenge. <laughs> like, there's a really weird twist because the crowd is so behind Goldust, who we've been conditioned to hate because he was like, you know, had uh, what was how do they always refer it? It was like, you know, like an alternate lifestyle or like, you know, because they didn't want to say that he was out and out gay. It was yeah, just. Yeah. He was living an alternate lifestyle, just like, you know, Gangrel was living a gothic lifestyle <laughs> of some sort, you know? Now, I thought this was fantastic. Um, Val cuts a promo, uh, but his mic is cut off by Goldust. And as they, as they're about to get into it, there's a massive sign in the front row that just said, Val Venus penetrates Chicago. <laughs> I didn't see that. That's Did amazing. you? Oh, mate, you've got to see it. It's like literally an entire covers up the barricade. It's so good. Um, there is a massive pop, as you said, for gold dust. And there is also a pretty cool little history lesson. JR's on fire when his little history lesson because he talks about how gold dust went, like, won an intercontinental championship by beating Razor Ramon and he had all these great matches and stuff like that. So JR is doing. Doing a fantastic job with some backstory here, talking about why Goldust is such a big deal. But man, is Goldust taking Val Venus to the woodshed? Oh, to start early on, absolutely. I thought the um this match was interesting a few minutes in because Val takes over and is just dominating for a while. Hmm. Um, they really wanted to crowd the crowd to like will Goldust on for the comeback. And I think that worked. I think they had to do it slow to sort of, you know, get you invested in cheering Goldust on. You you know, they really wanted him to be a favorite and don't cheer Val for stealing this man's wife felt yeah. like what they were really trying to do. Like, he's evil. 100%. You're 100% spot on there because it's just like, right, remember, we all like Val because it's fine if it's a preacher's wife, but now he's actually a guy that, like, stealing wives is bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Even though she's going along with it. And, you know, has done yeah, this yeah. of her own accord. It's very bad. Just yeah. remember that, everyone. Um, now, the crowd, as I said, is well into this match. Uh, towards the end, Tori, uh, Tori Wilson. Tori Wilson, sorry. Tori Ru- Terry Runnels. Yeah, Terry Jeez Runnels. Too many Terry's, Tories. Uh, <laughs> Terry Runnels tries to distract Goldust, but uh, Goldust uses the distraction to kick Val Venus in the balls and gets the pin. Like, I love how vicious, like, they set up, like, if this was a PlayStation game, it's like a target would just be on Val's crotch, and that's all, that's basically the story. <laughs> that's it. Goldust knew the story of the match was, you know, when you work on a body part, for him, it was working on his nuts. If he just hits him in that weak spot, like, you know, <laughs> Kurt Angle's neck or Shawn Michaels' back, if you kick Val in the nuts, it's all over. And is this Certainly. the first time we're really seeing the Shattered Dreams? You know, it doesn't so. necessarily have a name. I think they're teasing it. They're like, oh, he's shattered his dreams. But that would eventually be the move, just kicking mm-hmm. a guy in the nuts. And also, yeah. shout out to JR here for after the match, just going off on poor Terry Reynolds, saying she deserved it. She should be ashamed. Look at how she's dressed, for God's sake. Like, <laughs> what? She's just wearing a dress. He is so good like that. I love it. It always reminds me of that family guy line of like, you're a McDonald, not a whore. <laughs> yeah, that's him. <laughs> oh, man. Um, next up, it's Michael Cole in one of his many backstage roles where um, he recaps the attack of Triple H by Ken Shamrock. Ken Shamrock really leaning into the heel sort of um, um, character here. And X-Pac then interrupts him to say that he'll take care of him. But right now, he's going to take the European Championship off D'Lo Brown first. 
He almost fumbles and almost said Intercontinental Championship there in his <laughs> promo, but he got it out. And uh, it was fun to see a fired-up X-Puck and a very young Michael Cole. And also a Michael Cole who's allowed to say hospital and not local medical facility. <laughs> so that was interesting. Thanks. Uh, we get to the X-Pac versus D'Lo Brown match. D'Lo is the European champ. The nation is basically dissolved, but D'Lo is still very much in nation mode. Um, X-Pac is just, my God, he is well over here. Like, remember, oh. he's still fresh. X-Pac has still got that that rebel sort of real chip on his shoulder because I've been fired by Eric Bischoff, and he's just so good in this era. Also, I was shocked that he was wearing the red tights. I thought this he debuted the red tights after he started teaming with Kane, but I guess uh, there you go. Yeah. No, X-Pac looked good. Great ovation here, and I want to make the comparison to Conan in WCW and, you know, even D'Lo Brown here. I think what was great about this era, especially looking at this match and even the previous match, just cool mid-carders. They didn't have to make it to the main event, but you're never going to forget these guys. They had strong characters, good wrestlers, and just, you know, you know the whole vibe. You know D'Lo's gimmick. You know X-Pac. You know, you know, people like that. And seeing these two go at it, this was a very, very good in-ring match, even for its time or whatever. Like, this was great. I love it. These yep. two wrestling, great chemistry, and this was my favorite match of the night. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna agree with you there. Uh, there's there's such great reversal. Like there's a Bronco Buster that's reversed by D'Lo. Very very cool stuff. The only thing that's a questionable thing is China's sunglasses in the match. <laughs> hey, they're um, back in fashion. The mini sunnies are back. China was <laughs> ahead of the game. Um, there's uh, there's a ref bump in there too. Uh, Mark Henry gets involved, which leads to a, a belt shot by D'Lo Brown, and the crowd goes absolutely crazy when X-Pac kicks out after being knocked out by the belt. It's it's such a good match. Like it is, it's well ahead of its time. And I know that it's not. There's nothing really comparable to this in WCW at the time because their mid card is was so nothing. Like compare this to say the Conan Hennig match. <laughs> It's not even, not even it's fair. Not even in the same universe. The only match you could compare it to was Saturn and Raven, but that wasn't a common occurrence. That one was an anomaly. That match yeah. being as good and well booked and having the great story leading in and the great payoff, that was a rarity. Whereas this mm. match, this would become the norm. Good technical wrestling, good characters, interference, good kickouts, good story. You know, the good guy overcame it in the end. Like, yeah, this was a perfect main event match. It just happened in the mid-card. You know, the main event sort of formula that we would, you know, see later on. So good. Anyone who criticizes these guys or doesn't understand why we talk highly of them, just watch this match and, you know, they'll show you. Yeah. Um, Next up, Michael Cole with a rumor. He's doing his best to be mean Gene Oakland (laughs) in this pay-per-view, isn't he? (laughs) <laughs> he mentions that Paul Bearer is rumoured to be in the Undertaker's locker room, and then the headbangers interrupt him, and uh, they they do a, a couple of uh, like homophobic jokes at the expense of the New Age Outlaws, and Chaz, not Chaz, Mosh goes and um, befuddles a couple of lines, because it's just a weird promo by the headbangers. It felt like, okay, guys, we're in the Attitude Era. You don't just have to say you like heavy metal. We're going to give you the chance to be real and raw and, you know, go out and cut a good promo. And, yeah, all they could do was say, oh, you're the tag team champions. Will you tag team each other? And it was yeah. like, what? 
Yeah, and, know, like... and the other and the other line that really reminded me of that that Steve Buscemi um, uh, meme where it's like, "How are you doing, fellow kids?" And it's like, <laughs> "You broke our boombox, which means we can't listen to Marilyn Manson anymore." Yeah, yeah. He got too specific. He's like, "We can't listen to our Marilyn Manson disc anymore." Like he, he's, yeah, it was too much. All of that heelish work by the headbangers leads to this match against the New Age Outlaws, and the Outlaws spiel is interrupted by the headbangers. So you know that they're absolute heels at the moment, and the crowd goes extremely mad for that interruption. Like the headbangers, that that's the most sacrilegious thing you could do. <laughs> And this is a really weird match because do the Outlaws get in any offense or is it just building their headbangers? The Outlaws get their asses kicked for a while here. What I thought was interesting, though, because they were milking the crowd, so Road Dog is getting beat up. Billy Gunny's on the apron leading the crowd in a suck it chant, yep. which I've never heard before. It was like playing the game Attitude. It was a oh, chant I- that you don't hear in real life because it was like, Suck it, do, do, do. suck it, and it was just weird. So weird. I've re- I've written down these two things that I've written down. Crowd goes mad for Billy Gunn as he takes his shirt off. Oh yeah, and, and then Road Dog taunts on the apron to get the cr- the cheers from the crowd, like the old N sixty four wrestling games. You know where you could like when you were the tag team champion, <laughs> uh, like on the on the apron, and you'd like flick the, the little uh, yeah. analog stick to do the taunt. To get your attitude meter up, that's like this is such a video game <laughs> wrestling match. He was building up his special, and also Billy Gunn. Shout out to him. He's still wrestling now. He's still over. You know, he's killing and it, looking good. But my God, you can't fault them for thinking he was going to be the breakout star. Like crowd loves him. He's charismatic, and I know it's JR's go to. Like, oh, the best pure athlete in the WWE. This guy is a giant man, and in one match. He hits a military press slam and a flying head scissors. Like, Billy Gunn was a freak athlete at this time. Like, my God, mm. he really was impressive. Super, super. Like, And the only thing that I would, the only negative thing I can say about Billy Gunn is don't try to take a selfie with him when you're not near <laughs> his gimmick table because he will he will not be pleased. Um, the crowd is just hot throughout this mm. entire match, though, even during the beatdown. Like, there's even rest holds that they get straight into. Yeah, I thought this was uh, the surprise of the night. Not that the headbangers are necessarily bad. We've been surprised by them in the past. But the headbangers as heels uh, with the New Age Outlaws here, this was surprisingly fun. And also fun to think back when the Outlaws first formed and they were the heels, one of the first kind of mini feuds they had was with the headbangers. And it was about smashing each other with the boombox. So the tables have turned here. Very much so. There's a flapjack by the headbangers to get the uh, the pin, but Road Dog just blatantly gets the boombox and smacks Thrasher <laughs> over the head with it. Uh, the headbangers win by DQ, but it, it it's just a weird match. But like I said, like it, this goes back to what we were saying before about the D'Lo and um, DX match. The undercard actually has like characters that people are invested in, people care about them, and that was just one of the strengths of the Attitude Era. To an extent, we're kind of seeing it being slowly built back again in the WWE today with Triple H in charge. But yeah, man, that was, it was un, it's unheard of back then. It was but very, very cool to just be the norm where everyone had a story right from the opening match up until the, the main. Michael Cole then is doing his another mean gene impression. And he basically confirms without throwing to a hotline or anything, but he confirms that Paul Bearer is here, but he's actually in Kane's locker room. 
and he's then interrupted by Mankind, who has one of the most deranged promos I've ever heard. I can barely describe it, but yeah, it's odd. But he's talking about Mr. Socko's underpants and what Vince McMahon's wearing. It's just, it's bizarre. This was a weird promo, but a good one. I feel like this version of Mankind where Foley is becoming a face, he's still a little bit crazy, but he's becoming more of just himself. Yep. This promo was like on a level of just creativity and being able to get these words out was fantastic. What was he talking about where he said Ken Shamrock's promos are so brutal and they're the second leading cause of teenage suicide? Yeah. Like, this was insane to have the balls <laughs> to do a promo like this. It was just insane. And he said that Mr. Socko tonight is wearing black underwear, so open up and say, ah, which he took off Socko and he had the mandible had a little... taped up, yeah. which was a nice, very clever way to do that. Mick Foley was next level here and just, yeah, just going off the rails with, you know, saying whatever he wanted. Yeah, saying things like Vince McMahon's baby blue underpants and stuff like that is just... Odd. Only he could get away with it. Yeah, yeah, because in his little universe, it makes sense. Like Austin could never do that promo. Even The Rock could never do that promo. But this leads to the match, which is Ken Shamrock versus Mankind. Now, this builds up the breakdown uh, cage match between uh, those two and The Rock. There is some hilarious Pat Patterson uh, jokes from JR and King talking about Patterson winning the IC belt. And it's just... Some of those lines are just so good. Like, you know, he went through 16 men and still came out on top. <laughs> How could they do it? was so stupid. <laughs> At the time, we, I had no idea what they were talking about. The only thing I kind of knew was that the tournament was fake. That's yeah. what I thought the joke was. Now it's like, oh, okay, yeah. It's, but it's just so like that. That's the thing. That's what makes innuendo like that great because it's just like you get the level, like, yeah, I know it's not a tournament, but that deep cut is like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Ken Shamrock here, this, he's full heel mode at the moment following the cage match. And it is a stiff match. Like Mankind and Shamrock just go to town on each other. Mm, I thought this was interesting. Yeah. Really hard hitting from these guys. And Ken Shamrock being a heel for the first time completely changes the vibe of his matches because normally he gets beat down and then makes comebacks throughout a match, whereas being the heel here, he's in control more. And I thought it was really good because he yeah. leaned into more of the mixed martial arts stuff, the leg kicks, you know, working on Foley's ankle. There is one point, though, when they go to the outside and Ken Shamrock just clearly smashes Mick Foley in the head with the chair in front of the right. I've and just written this. <laughs> JR just has to question it. He's like, why wasn't that a DQ? Like, I don't know. Yeah, and and kudos to JR for like actually saying that too. Um, I love it how when they are on the outside, uh, King mentions that Mankind is the mayor of no man's land. <laughs> That's pretty good. Might have to use that one. <laughs> <That's very laughs> the, the crowd is absolutely warming towards Mankind, though. You can sort of mm. tell, like you said before, Simon, he's sort of, transitioning into the Mick Foley that we know and love a little bit later on. But yeah, there is some stiff, stiff moods. There's an awesome spot where Mankind, he attacks Shamrock while he's in the Tree of Woe. Like, these two are just going to town on each other. And there's a power slam by Shamrock on on the stairs that basically just destroys um, Mick Foley's ankle. But because he puts the ankle lock afterwards, I'm wondering if that was by design. I reckon it might have been because sometimes Foley would take the hip toss into the stairs the same way where it would mm. look like his legs would just smash 
into the steps. I don't know yeah. if Mick Foley just figured out a way to do that, but it definitely worked into it, uh, working on Mick Foley's ankle because we've never really seen anyone do submissions to Mick Foley. You know, Brett and Foley never really had a run, so we're mm-hmm. seeing someone use that approach, and it was a really interesting match. It was good. Very, very good. Um, Mankind actually loses by submitting to his own finisher. He's in the ankle lock, and he gives himself the mandible claw, to which then Shamrock's declared the winner by mandible claw, and he loses it. Uh, that was hilarious. I remember this ending from when I was a kid. I was looking forward to seeing this again because I hadn't seen it in ages. Very creative because Mick Foley won't give Ken Shamrock the satisfaction of tapping out. <laughs> he beats himself. And Ken Shamrock, you know, is put over as this, you know, dangerous guy. But Mick Foley is, you know, too proud to give up. The way that they got Fink to announce winner by mandible claw. They never <laughs> say that under any other circumstances. So you know what they were doing. But it was fun because Shamrock snaps. He gets into the zone and, you know, goes crazy. And then he gets Mr. Socko on him to uh, Mankind then leaving with his exit music. Because remember, he's got two themes uh, in that weird sort of um, tr- that demand. Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> it's so, I was going to say, it's so weird seeing Foley as a face here wearing the button-up shirt, but he doesn't have the iconic McFoley music yet. Yeah. It's still weird. It's like, come on, where's the good music? It also, it also, that's what always throws me off when I see him win the title because they have yeah. that music. Yeah. <laughs> Just so not, not the vibe of fun baby face, the piano music. Mm-hmm. Also, there was a, a sign in the crowd here. It said, China, toss my salad. <laughs> Look that up on your own to find out what it means. But it just reminded me that Conan would then make that one of his catchphrases and it would get over where he was yeah. talking about tossing his salad. I didn't know what that meant when I was... 10 or whatever there, there's another one conan also does this uh he he refers to he does it when, when he's part of the filthy animals there's a promo that he does on nitro 2000 where he says like i'll just say hypothetically speaking like he's talking to kidman whereas like you're kidman when you're not too busy helping richard gear count his gerbils why don't you come <laughs> and it's like what are you doing conan <laughs> um he would also talk about peeling potatoes <laughs> yeah. But I don't know what that innuendo is. I haven't Googled that one, to be honest. Yeah, for all of these, don't Google it on your work computer, <laughs> just for safety's sake. Uh, next up, Michael Cole is trying to get in touch with Vince McMahon, but he is stopped by the returning Big Boss Man. Now, Boss Man, we last saw him as Big Bubba at sold out of this same year, and he's finally made his way back to WWE. One of the weirdest things ever of this era, that big boss man jumps ship to the WWE and is essentially a main event character for a few months as part of uh, the, uh, I was about to say, the authority, the corporation as Vince McMahon's security guard. And you know what? It's pretty cool and pretty memorable. If you say big boss man to a lot of people, this is the one you picture with the riot gear, not necessarily the the blue shirt. Hard times one, yeah. Yeah. Good promo too, actually, here. Which is hilarious because he does sneak in a hard times reference to, and it's because he's, he probably hasn't been in WWE for about five or six years now. Yeah. I reckon. Cause he, cause he had like a big run in WCW that's forgettable, but he did as like big Bubba and the chief and the guardian angel and all of this sort of rubbish. Um, So 
it's funny how like when he tosses in the hard times is like an Easter egg. Hey? Everyone's just like, okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No one really cares. But it was a good promo. He was always yeah. good on the mic. Yeah. Um, speaking of promos, we're then leading ourselves to Mark Henry versus The Rock. Mark Henry is I've I've written this down as the beta version of sexual chocolate because he does a weird promo on China. Yeah, he does a poem. This was something they tried doing with early sexual chocolate where he would do poetry. Um it was fine. It wasn't the best Mark Henry. I will say no. it's such a shame that this is the version of this match we got. Because if it was world's strongest man, a oh, Hall of Pain style versus yeah. The Rock, you know, like even here or a year later, man, it would have been massive. Would have been huge. Um, um, Chicago absolutely blows the roof off for The Rock because he's the number one contender for the vacant WWF title at the moment. And I, we brought this up last time when Farouk left the nation. But I love how even though, like, if you, any aside from The Rock, everyone's default attire and music is just the nation, even after they leave the nation. <laughs> yeah, everyone just gets a remix on the theme, their own unique one. I got to say here, this match is only five minutes, but just seeing how over The Rock was, it's worth checking out. Also, The Rock and Mark Henry do a couple of impressive things, like, the Rock hits a vertical suplex on Mark yep, Henry. On Mark Henry. It's crazy. It's crazy. And the crowd goes nuts. Um, <laughs> at one point, JR goes on about how thick Mark Henry is. <laughs> and then he's, <laughs> he's so thick. He's so naturally thick. <laughs> Just being naturally thick as an attribute. Thought that was fun. Yeah, you're right, though, about the crowd going ballistic over The Rock because when he does the people's elbow, like he's really finessing the people's elbow at the moment they go crazy um when the rock takes out delo brown because uh, delo comes into to interfere uh, but then mark henry gets the upset win as delo helps him by holding the rock's legs down very very cool and the thing that i found really funny um and shocking also at the time was the big baby faces would generally lose they'd always lose like austin would always lose rock the same time like the, the sort of super cena character hasn't existed yet and it only was with john cena where it was like oh they must always win because they're the top baby face it's really weird isn't it it's interesting watching the attitude era and seeing the back and forth of the heels and faces whereas yeah years prior we would see hulk hogan and you know um bruno sammartino or whoever else just be the dominant face and then they would yeah. go back to it with cena but here in this era, yeah, you're right. The baby faces didn't always just come out on top and dominate. Really strange the attitude here. And they even make note of it. Hell, it's like, well, The Rock, you know, he's taking his loss like a man. It's like Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Losing was a good thing. Like, shows how, you know, he'll overcome it next time. He didn't always just have to win. Yeah, which is kind of cool to sort of say. Um, One thing that I thought was awesome was as we throw to King and JR to set up the main event, when they throw, like, when they throw back to the commentary team, in WWE, it flows. It's short. It's sweet. They get the job done. There's no waffling about. And it's just short and sweet. Simple as that. And they have chemistry where they're going back and forth. They're not trying to just derail each other like Tony and Bobby would a lot yeah. in WCW. Someone's got to sit those guys down and be like, come on, this isn't fun anymore. JR and King <laughs> always felt like friends who just kind of 
going like to rib other. each other a little Needling bit. Yeah. Each other. yeah, yeah. It's a different vibe. And I think that definitely helps the shows a lot. We mentioned uh, at the start of the party how, um, you know, you forget how much iconic stuff happened within the span of breakdown to Judgment Day. <laughs> like, there is just so much stuff, like Austin and the Zamboni. The origin of Vince, um, you know, when he's in the wheelchair because Austin takes out his foot, which then leads to the bedpan and the attack in the hospital. And Mr. Socko's debut. Mr. Socko's debut. The Corvette being filled with cement. I cannot believe all that stuff happened in the space of two pay-per-views. That's what I wrote in my notes with exclamation marks every time one popped up. I was like, the Zamboni, the hospital, the Corvette, what the hell? The Zamboni is still one of the best top five raw segments for me the crowd reacting when he drives down the aisle and then bumps the ring and then dives from it onto vince there's a guy in the crowd who throws like an inflatable austin doll in the ring it's just chaos it's so fun it's so good what a crazy few weeks of raw that was that uh, would have been just crazy. And uh, we get to the main event, which is Kane versus The Undertaker. It is, it's the most basic of entrances. These are like WWF attitude entrances, <laughs> but they still look so cool. Yeah, great production here. And, I, and I'll, I'll say it every time, this is The Undertaker's best entrance music. Yep, 100%. This is this is the the sort of transition any... When he that last run before he's the American badass, this is the peak music, and I really wish that he used it a bit more um, when he came back. But I, I did think it was also a nice touch of Jr. mentioning Taker like beating Hogan so dominantly to win his first title and beating Sid because that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, you got to chuck that in. Um, this was kind of a weird match because Taker is kind of a heel here, but in this match he kind of took the de facto babyface role. It felt mm. like, and the crowd was into it. I got to say, it wasn't necessarily a match. It was more of a story. Austin is the ref. He doesn't want to count for either guy, but if he doesn't, he's going to be fired. So it's all about the story here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I sort of put the same thing down here. It's a pretty slow and plodding match. Kane and Undertaker have some great matches, but I don't reckon this is one of them purely because like, I, if it wasn't the fact that we saw their match, uh, like their WrestleMania 14 match, great. Mm. Their, um, the other match that the they had. The Inferno match, which was yeah. way better than we thought it was going to be. Yeah. So they've had so many times. It's kind of to the point where every wrinkle that they're adding normally is good, but this one just sort of sits to the back because Austin's a ref and there's nothing he can really do. Yeah, everyone just wants Austin to do something, <laughs> uh, which he does near the end. And I got to say, like, look, the crowd is into this match the whole time. But once Austin really gets involved near the end and doesn't want to count, uh, and then when he starts, you know, hitting stunners, like they just go absolutely mental. Yeah, because it actually starts quite organically because Kane Irish whips Taker into Austin. And then Kane takes out Austin before. Um, before both of them then just go to town on Stone Cold, that absolutely wakes up the crowd. They go absolutely ballistic. Paul Bearer then comes out and attacks Kane <laughs> to, to no avail. To then Taker then attacks Kane with a vicious chair. Undertaker's chair shots in that era are just something else. Him and Ken Shamrock should have a concussion off <laughs> that era. <laughs> I love this clip. I feel like I've seen it recently because every time the real-life Glenn Jacobs 
tweet some dumb shit <laughs> about vaccine masks or religion or, yeah. or masks or abortion. Everyone's like, oh, well, we know why you think this. And we just see the horrible chair shots Kane took in the era, and this was one of them. It's huge. It literally, like, flattened his head. But, um, yeah, <laughs> take a clock to Kane, pins him for the win, but Austin doesn't count. And gives him the stunner and does the greatest double pin count. Like, it's so good. It's almost like the Wayne's world. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. <laughs> he bows and that counts as a double pin. No rep has ever done that before. Uh, and it's good. The crowd pops so loud for his double pin. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then afterwards, Austin then heads around backstage because he's trying to find Vince McMahon because the condition was, you have to do it fair and square. There must be a winner, Austin. Otherwise, I will fire you. So Stone Cold then goes backstage to try and find Vince to get him to fire him. It's very cool. Yeah, because Austin doesn't think that McMahon has the guts to fire him. That's kind of where we're at now. But Vince McMahon, in the lead up to this match, had always said, I would fire you, but you're the WWF champion. And then it became, I would fire you, but you know, I don't want to look like I'm some evil boss. But at this yeah. point, Vince is full villain now. Now this is the real, you know, Mr. McMahon that most people think of. And he doesn't care. He'll fire Austin even if it affects his business. To the point where, like, you want to talk about him being, like, completely evil. Like, Austin's in the ring and a curtain pulls back from above the t- entranceway and Stone Cold and uh, Mr. McMahon is there in his wheelchair with boss man in like a balaclava but yep. sunglasses he <laughs> looks like it looks like if you've ever seen Street Fighter the movie with Jean-Claude Van Damme <laughs> and Raul Julia as M Bison that's what it looked like <laughs> Um, this also leads to Austin's famous line of you've got 18,000 people calling you an asshole Great classic Austin trick there. And also, someone in the crowd with amazing aim throws like a bed sheet at Vince yep. McMahon. It was like a sign written on a bed sheet, and it just hits Vince on the face. And Vince's reaction is, you know, fantastic, as you would expect. As is King's indignation to show some respect to Mr. McMahon. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's really, really cool. But this leads to Stone Cold Steve Austin getting fired. Vince delivers the first, you're fired. To Steve Austin, and then Austin just as as Vince rolls away, Austin cuts a promo threatening Vince, and then calls for his music for one last time, which is a nice touch because Jr. gives the full send off. <laughs> I was going to say Jr. is emotional here, and he's talking about it's the end of an era. There'll never be a WWF champion <laughs> like this man. He's one of the a legend in his own time. He even said he's. Laying it on thick for old Stone Cold here. Very fun end segment, though. And, you know, Austin drops a hint. I'm not done with you. Like mm-hmm. you said, Vince McMahon delivered the first ever You're Fired. A very fun ending. Very fun, uh, re- which is really given an exclamation point where the last thing you hear before it fades to black is JR going, goodbye, Rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Steve. Just real just- dramatic. It's so good. But yeah, top to bottom, this pay-per-view, like the main event is no Tokyo Dome, um, Kenny Omega versus Okada kind of seven-star match, but it didn't need to be. It did it. It ticked all the boxes. There wasn't a match here that I, I, I did this in one sitting. This was such a good, it breezed by this pay-per-view. 
I watched it in one sitting too. And because of that, I actually forgot if we were recording tonight or not. <laughs> because I watched it all on Sunday and mm. didn't it didn't even feel like work. I was like, oh, it was a fun show. And then yeah, it was just like... Today, I was like, oh, no, we were going to talk about it, you know? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But this is... So, it's such a good show. And it's, it's still a three-hour pay-per-view, but it feels like it... It, it had that same pace of the early, I don't know, it just doesn't feel that long. Like they each pace match- these shows yeah. better. I don't know what it is. There's just less less stop downs. The matches could be a little bit shorter. Maybe that yeah. helps that we get shorter matches. I don't know, but a lot of fun. And the next pay-per-view, and it, it, uh. like regardless of what's happened here, the next show is Survivor Series, The Deadly Game. I haven't seen this in a long time. A lot of people tell you it's one of the best pay-per-views ever. It's Vince Russo's crowning achievement as a writer. Yep. I'm mm-hmm. excited to watch it back in full um, because on when I watched it in 98, I watched it on Channel 10. Channel 10, and yes. And a few matches were cut, but I remember how exciting that weekend was. Like, holy crap, the Survivor Series is free on Channel 10. It was mind-blowing. 8.30, Sunday night. I still remember the Monday was morning. Was it a Sunday night? Wow, for some reason, I always thought it was a Friday. Nah. Oh, it might have been a Friday because I just remember the fault. Fo- like, I had to wait until, like, it wasn't a next day talking to people at school. So, it might have been maybe even a Saturday night. Maybe. Um, because, yeah, it was 8.30 because I remember how excited I was. Because you couldn't, because, you know, unless you called your friends, you know, on the <laughs> phone. You're not like there was no group chats or anything like that. So on the Monday at school, I still remember at PE just talking like, 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 oh, and then this happened and then such and such. It was just, it was a monumental event. Like Survivor Series 98 on Channel 10 was just great. Mm. And I don't want to spoil the ending, but the surprise (laughs) ending of this pay-per-view. Yeah. The Monday at school was like, I can't believe what happened. Everyone was shocked. Uh, Yeah. It was, yeah. Very, very cool stuff. Let's quickly go through our MVP and stuff like this. I can think we can both agree that uh, the D'Lo Brown X-Pac match was probably the best uh, on the card. But i got to say, in terms of MVP, you can't go past, I reckon, um, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Just yeah, No one touches him. Yeah, no I was going to say, as a match, of course, X-Pac and D'Lo match of the night. Steve Austin for just carrying that main event segment. And even post-match, just mm. on his own, yeah. And just Stone the cold. entire, the entire, um, like every link, there's a Stone Cold thread in here. Like they, they really, he was the tentpole. He was their golden goose, and with with good reason. But we talk about in the next pay per view, we will get to Survivor Series 1998. But unfortunately, before we do that, we have to get through Halloween Havoc 1998. So uh, that'll be our next edition of Reliving the War here on the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network. If you would like to catch up. On our previous episodes, you can do so by going to greywolfentertainment.net. Make sure you follow Grey Wolf ENT on all of the socials, and we will catch you next time with another edition of Reliving the War. This has been another presentation from the Grey Wolf Entertainment Network, greywolfentertainment.net.